Welcome back to the Living on Purpose podcast with Pastor John and Sam. You're listening to episode number 41. Now, this is part two of a two-part series where if you have not listened to part one yet, we invite you to go back to listen to part one in episode 40 and then listen to this episode. So I'm going to read the question again, and then we'll get into the discussion. Dear John and Sam, I feel called to ministry, and I'm confident that God has given me the spiritual gifts to do such a thing, potentially be a member of the pastoral staff in the future, not necessarily at our church, but would be glad for that if it occurred. I know if we are stagnant, God can't move us where we need to be. If we are moving, he can change the course. My question is, how do I know when my time to transition is accurate? How do I know when it's time to focus on what I feel God is calling me in that aspect of my life? And how do I know if it's something I should pursue in further education? There have been pastors that seemingly excelled without college degrees, examples being people like Charles Spurgeon or Greg Laurie. With the economy right now, it seems difficult to afford. Thank you for your advice. Yeah, I love this question. We had a good time last week talking about it. And uh, we got into, first of all, number one, testing your qualifications. So I think it's really important to understand no one's perfect, but there are expectations, there are qualifications that the Bible does give when it comes to this idea of being a pastor elder. And again, last week I talked about the reality of pastor and elder and overseer being synonymous terms working together. The pastor is the shepherd, the one who gives direction and protection, and that's the most uh, endearing I would say, term that we use. Then there is the term elder. Elder gives the idea of wisdom, direction. Uh, Usually it's used in terms of someone who's a bit older. And then there's the idea of overseer. And this is the person who is like kind of like the CEO in some ways. But again, we're not talking about just one person. We're talking about multiple people working together. We call that a plurality of elders. And so last week we talked about the most important part of this, and that is testing your qualifications. I'm not going to read 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 again. You can read it on your own. But there are five different points that I want to highlight that are really, really important. Number one, whoever desires to be an overseer slash pastor slash elder, they desire a noble task. It's a great thing. And so you must have a passion. You must have a desire to do this. Number two, the overseer, the pastor, uh, the elder has to be someone who's above reproach. Someone has a strong reputation, someone who can't have someone else point the finger at them and say, yeah, but this person does this, this, and this in the community. No, you need to be somebody who is honest, who has integrity and character, someone who's a hard worker, someone who is loving and kind, all these different things. Number three, he should manage his family well and see that his children obey him. Now, our children are not perfect, okay? Mm -hmm. And kids are never going to fully obey. But do you have leadership in your home? Are your kids running rampant, doing whatever they want to do? You may need to focus on your home, first of all, if that's the case. Number four, uh, not be a recent convert. You need to be someone who's been saved, seasoned for a period of time, right? I think a lot of people, they get saved. My dad always tells a story about when he got saved, he was on fire. He was just ready to go full tilt for the Lord Jesus. And that's incredible. But passion doesn't help you to continue endurance, right? It it really is not the thing. Passion is important, but being taught, um, having you in a place in your life where people have invested in you, 
We've learned some things and you're humble now. That's really, really important. And then number five, you have to have a strong reputation with outsiders, people that don't know Christ, people in the community. You have to be the kind of person who is a good example, the kind of person who has a strong testimony, the kind of person that is leading people to Christ instead of keeping people from Christ because of your behavior. The last thing we need is for people to look at your life and say, man, what a hypocrite, right? Yeah. So we need to avoid those things. So First Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Um, read those verses and, and then six and seven, read those verses again, because that really talks about the reality of not being a recent convert. Okay. So today there's two other points that we want to get into. Okay. So last week we talked about testing your qualifications. Today we talk about number two, which is number one today is test the timing. And then number three, uh, overall, but number two today would be test your knowledge. I want to talk about those two things. Okay. First of all, testing the timing. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 through 34, it says, and Paul's speaking about marriage here, by the way. He talks in the very beginning of chapter 7, and he says, man, I wish you guys were like me. What's he saying? He's saying, I wish you were single, and you could just serve God all the time. You don't have a family to care for. You're just preaching the gospel. You're, you're going from city to city, sharing the truth. And that's what Paul did, right? He he established churches. He uh, He put elders in these churches. And he was doing this all the time. And this was his focus completely. He didn't have a wife. We know that. Okay. So Paul is not against marriage, obviously. He goes on later on to say it's important for almost all of you to have a wife because you're you're not like me. I'm very unique. But Paul does later in the chapter, and these are the verses I'm going to read, he talks about the difference between being married and being single. And he says in verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. And, and what he's saying is, he goes on to say, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Now, we've got to be really careful to read this in context. When he's talking about the affairs of this world, he's not talking about sinful practices the way that Paul speaks about that in other places. Uh, James speaks of it in other places. He's speaking, really, if you read the context of just having responsibilities in the household, right? As a husband, I have responsibilities to provide for my wife. As a father, I have responsibilities to provide for my children, okay? So what happens is my interest as far as activities, as far as time is divided. And I've actually lived this out, this illustration, because I was a youth pastor for three years before I had a wife and before I had kids. And so I was going and going and going all the time in ministry. And then I got married and I made some mistakes, let's be honest. I had to learn some things because I threw my wife into a crazy lifestyle and I kind of forced her to do all the things I was doing. But over time, I learned that when you have a family and the ministry, your your interests are divided. Not your priorities. Your priorities are still God first, family second, ministry third. But your interests are divided. Your time is divided. And that's what Paul is saying here, right? He's saying, listen, if you're unmarried, you have all this time to serve God. But if you're married... You have a family, you need to provide for your family. And so there's another verse that comes to my mind too. In 1 Timothy 5, in verse 8, Paul is also the author of this verse. He said, anyone who doesn't provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, you think of your own household, who are you thinking of? My wife and kids. Your wife and kids, right? He says, this person has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so the reason why I call this number two, testing the time, I think it's really important to consider your family when you go to make this decision. So we talked about this last week. I believe the listener that gave us the question, this is not an 18 or 19 or 20 year old. I believe this is someone who 
probably has a family already, maybe kids. I don't know for sure. But the reality is, is that you have a wife now. So you have to, at the very least, you have a wife. So you have to go to your wife and have conversation about this. This is going to affect a lot of things. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect your present lifestyle in some ways. It's going to affect a lot of things. Does your wife, I would ask you this question, does your wife feel the same way that you feel? Okay. Mm -hmm. At this point in your life, is this a team decision or is this something that you desire, but she doesn't desire? And I would warn you that if you're in a place in your life where you really desire to be a pastor elder, but your wife doesn't want this lifestyle, you're going to have to slow down and take a break and keep praying about this decision because the last thing in the world you want is for your family to fall apart. Remember, the three institutions that got established, one of them is human government and the other two are the ones that are so special to us. It's the church and it's the family. And what it got established first, the church or the family? The family. The family. Mm -hmm. And so before you jump into vocational ministry as a pastor, you need to care for your family. And it's really, really important to be having these conversations with your spouse. Absolutely. So let me, Sam, let me ask you this yeah. question, all right? Yeah. A few years ago now, uh, when you came on staff here at Emmanuel to be a creative arts director and really specialize in the worship ministry, um, I remember sitting down with you. We had a great conversation, and, mm -hmm. and I love you, and I'm glad you're here. I love Aubrey, your wife, and your kids. But let us know how that went for you because you were coming on staff. This is a great question for me to you mm -hmm. because you were coming on staff already with a job and a family, and you had to make that choice. Yeah, absolutely. So I did work a full-time job. This is six years ago now. I was in a full-time secular job working in a production environment. And probably I think I was in my 10th year of that. Mm. And a couple of years prior to that, I had served at another church as a volunteer on the worship team there. And God just started showing me different, different things like he's calling me into worship ministry. He gave me that desire first and then started confirming that through different people, through different circumstances. So I thought that was the direction he wanted me to go. And then at this other church, when the opportunity came to step into that worship leader role, um, they were offering it as a part-time. And I I kind of took a step back and I was like, wait, God, I thought you were calling me to full-time here. And there wasn't really vision for that there. So I started reaching out and that's when we met. Um, fast forward a little bit. When, when we met, you said it would start as part-time, but then eventually there was vision there to go full-time in, in ministry and combining worship and creative arts together. Um, so I was still working a full-time job and we made the decision to, to move here because there was that vision, mm -hmm. you know, there was that direction, there was that need. And, uh, you know, that just lined up with, with what I was thinking and Aubrey and I kind of laugh about it because she, she was at peace with it. You know, I, the church is mm. still close to where we live and stuff. So we didn't have to move. Um, it was a great vision, great people. We came for a visit and I met the the worship band here and we just, we clicked. And uh, so I, I think that guy was really in it, you mm. know, um, because I had talked about the vision with my wife years pre previous. She mm. knew I had been looking for a full-time ministry position. Um, so she was very supportive of that. She, she knew, you know, my desires and, and she's been a singer too. So, 
you know, it, it aligned. Mm. So it worked out in the end. And now here we are going on our sixth year here and very thankful and grateful for, for all the opportunities. That's awesome. So what would have happened though, if um, Aubrey would have been like, I don't think this is the right thing. It's a pay cut. It's this, it's that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm ready for you to do that. What would you have done? I would have talked with her and prayed with her. And, and if we were not on the same page, then we wouldn't have made the move. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a really important thing to consider. You know, at some point, um, if you're considering ministry and it's really on your heart, you need to be praying for your spouse that she'll have the same passion and desire that you have mm -hmm. so that you can be aligned together. Now, I told a story before about how God led me from one ministry to the next, and my wife wasn't necessarily desiring to go to that ministry, but we did take a lot of time praying over it, and she did follow my leadership. And so, ultimately, if God's really leading you to do something, you may make that choice, but I think it's really, really important that you do everything in your power to encourage your spouse, mm -hmm. because if your spouse is not on page with you, ultimately, it's going to fall apart. Yeah, yeah, it could. And I would just say this, it was a step of faith. On both of our parts, mm -hmm. you not knowing me, me not knowing you, yeah. and, and we kind of made that decision together, but it was a step of faith and it did start out as part-time and I was still doing bivocational, you know, working full-time and, and coming here on the side. But uh, over a couple of years of mm -hmm. that, um, we were able to yeah. make it a full-time thing and, and God's blessed it, I, I believe. And uh, we're, yeah. we're very, very content and, and excited. Yeah, you're doing a great job. and. As a, as a gift to you, we just gave you a new sound system. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, church. Thank you, church. Thank you, John. All right. So number two is test the timing. I think that's a big deal, right? Are you testing the timing of this? All right. Let me give you number three, and that is test your knowledge, okay? I mentioned this last week. I mean, I have two daughters that are going to be going to Cedarville University in the fall. Fantastic college, but not cheap, right? I'm looking at $45,000 between both of them. It's really around eighty dollars or $90,000, but they got scholarships and different things that brought the price down. And so the philosophy that my wife and I have is to help our kids with college. Um, they're going to make some money to pay for part of it, but we're going to help them with, I mean, 75% of it. Hmm. And so it's challenging, right? It, it's not easy. And so then you, you you connect that to someone who's not 18, 19, or 20, but to someone who is 25, 26, 27, or 35, 45, whatever it is, and they feel called to the ministry now. They're working a secular job like you mm -hmm. were, mm -hmm. and um, now they want to go into ministry, but they also have a family, right? They have a wife, they have kids, and so they can't just go back to college, so to speak, because they have to make money to provide for their family. Yeah. And so the tension with that is, all right, what do we do? I mean, currently, and I mentioned this last week, you're going to end up at Cedarville University if you get all those scholarships. It's going to cost you $100,000 for four years. Yeah. Okay. So what do we do? Because I, I know that's a big part of this question that our listener is asking. I know he's saying, what should I do? Well, it's important to have knowledge. That is really important. So there are options. I'm going to give you five different options, Okay. Some of these interact with each other and some do not. But the fact is, is that knowledge is important. All right. So number one is online Bible certificate or maybe one class per year. It's important to always be sharpening your skills if you can. And there are different opportunities, different certificates, different things that can be done to help a person grow in the Lord. 
even at a slower pace, okay? Number two, the local church has to do the bulk of the training moving forward in a lot of ways. I do believe this. When it comes to ministry, I think we're moving into an era now where more and more people on church staffs, they're going to be self-trained or group trained in their church. One of the things that we were moving forward in doing, and then Pastor Dan resigned, and I'm all good with this because God's leading him in a different direction, but we wanted to have what we were going to call the Equip Center. And that is, in reality, a place where we can teach people the basic truths of the Bible, doctrine, understanding of hermeneutics, which has to do with how to study and interpret the Bible, um, homiletics, which has to do with how to preach or teach the Bible, you know, different things, Bible doctrines, leadership. In local churches are taking this more and more as a priority. And so I, I believe us at Emmanuel, we're going to continue to do this too. And we're going to develop these things over time and really train some of our own people. And so when I think of Bible college, going to Maranatha like I did, I think of like the fact that, you know, I learned a lot of things in a practical sense, but the doctrinal things, the foundation is what was the most important thing. Now, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Christian home. And so many of those things I already knew. But I think it's really, really important to have the doctrinal uh, foundation laid. And when it comes to practice, let's be honest, every church has their own style, their own structure, their own philosophy. And so I don't really need people to go away to Cedarville to learn a philosophy if they're going to serve and work under my leadership here at Emmanuel, you and I and the rest of our team. Because we have our own style. We have our own philosophy. We can teach that on our own. The point is, is that you need the doctrine. That's the important part. Because if I ask someone to preach and teach, they've got to be able to share God's word and share it accurately. Yeah. That's a big thing. Number three is volunteer intensity. Prove your passion. You want to serve the Lord as as a vocational pastor someday, be like the greatest volunteer right now. One of the things that really impresses me is when I see someone prove themselves, they prove their passion, they prove their commitment, they're a great volunteer. And so maybe you take a step back, maybe you volunteer for a year, you continue to work your secular job and you just prove yourself in the place that you're at. And maybe, just maybe, God will open up an opportunity even in that ministry. Number four is teachability. Read, 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 be committed to reading. Go to your pastor pastors even, and ask them, what are things that I can read on doctrine? What are things that I can read on practical Christian living and ministry? And be teachable. And then number five, have a mentor, a life coach, someone who can invest in you, someone who is seasoned, someone who is either A, a pastor, or someone who's been in the ministry serving in the local church for a while, and really, really test your knowledge in that way, okay? So five things. There's online options, number one. Number two, local church ministry options. Number three, volunteer options. Number four, reading options. And number five, coaching options. I would say really, really, really invest in these three things. And so there are five things, but three things altogether we've talked about the last two weeks. And I'm going to review them real quick. Number one, test your qualifications. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Read the verses. Are you qualified? Number two, test the timing. Is the timing right? Make sure your spouse is on board with you for such a huge commitment. Number three, test your knowledge. And I gave you those options. And so here's the thing. If you desire the office of a teacher, bishop, pastor, elder, leader, all this connected into one. If you desire this, that's an awesome thing. But make sure that you're going through this process. Great. Such a great question. And I I think we did a good job, hopefully, of answering that. And if you have further questions along this same line of thinking, or if, or if you have another question, feel free to send that to john at weareemmanuel.life. And we can talk about your question on a future episode. 
Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time.